I'm joined here today from uh, with Charlie from My Weather Router, and uh, for those of you who've been following us, uh, Charlie helped us across the Atlantic, uh, all the way from uh, the Bahamas to Bermuda, and then from Bermuda across to uh, the Azores, and then from the Azores to uh, Portugal. Uh, welcome, Charlie. So, first of all, Charlie, tell us a little bit about your experience, because even though you know an awful lot about meteorology, Actually, you're more of a sailor, really, aren't you? When I was 19, my dad very kindly lent me the boat for about six weeks. It was based in the Mediterranean, and that was my first skippering experience. I brought 10 friends down from Scotland, and we just spent the summer sailing around the Balearics. And I learned a lot very fast about crew management, running a boat, uh, vittling a boat, ports. Now, this was back in 97 or something. Um, but that, that was all good fun, learnt, learnt a lot. Uh, pretty much immediately after that, the following year, various things began to happen. Dad had an opportunity to, to, to buy a new boat and proposed to the family to sail around the world, just pretty much in a sort of evening, one evening, have, have, having, a, have, having, a, having a meal. They said, Who, who's up for it? There's four kids. And we all, within about half an hour, said yes. Um, so we all stopped what we were doing. I was currently trying to do something at university. Um, and so we all got on board the boat and we spent two years with a rally going around wow. the world. The rally, of course, gave us, uh, gave us great focus to be able to get back okay. in time. So. And, and, th and this is when you got into meteorology? I suppose that was initially, uh, that was when we started sort of sailing a lot offshore. Um, and so someone had to take on the, the roles of understanding the weather and beginning to figure out how we can deal with forecasts. We had a lot of support at that particular stage because you're organised with a rally. There's a big shore crew that's there to, to kick you off and also to, to meet you on the dock at the next major ports when you arrive. So they and my sister, who was doing a transatlantic, gave me a call from a sat phone one November about 11 years ago and said, uh, Charlie, we've got a hurricane in front of us. What do you suggest? And I just, that was my kind of first sort of realistic foray into actually giving proper advice to someone else. I'd done it for years myself, of trying to find what I could find and figuring out what you could read in books and speaking to other boats. But when it came to actually giving information to someone else, when my sister called up and said, what do we do? And, uh, and it sort of went from there. And I just began giving my thoughts of what I could see, how it unfolding, looking at websites, um, just getting the information that I could. They were, of course, very grateful. Um, word of mouth went round Antigua very, very basically when I was there. And I, I picked up work with a couple of race boats. Um, I've worked with several of those race boats sort of since then. Um, but it, it sort of came from there. And just to realize that there was an interest and, and a requirement. And it's always been aimed at the small boat market, at, at couples, families, things that I've been through myself year after year. And wanting to offer the advice that I can, um, and for trying to put it in, in a concise way that can. Basically, what you offer is a daily bulletin, isn't it, on uh, specifically for your boat on your passage at that time. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Every day, yeah. telling you where to go, which way to go, and yeah. um, that is fantastic. I, I have to well, say, fantastic. So we, we we try and where possible, we try and track the boats. I think for the first part of the trip for yourself, you were sending me an automatic text every six or 12 hours that gave me your position. That was enough for me to work on. Lots of boats, however, have tracking systems through Predict Wind or their own onboard yellow brick trackers. And if I have access to their sites, I can not only just check it every six hours, I can literally be on it every hour, a couple of hours, or whenever I'm checking another boat, I've got pages open and I can jump between the trackers and I can just monitor it to see how things are going. So, um, I mean, that's really how, how I work. So when we uh, left um, the Bahamas, um, we were in for a 
uh, a pretty straight line course, really, to go to uh, uh, Bermuda, if I remember yeah. rightly. Um, and OK, the first couple of days, it was a bit more breezy than we were expecting, but we got through that. But uh, when we were approaching Bermuda, we had to actually cross uh, a cold front. And That's I right. found it really interesting that everything you wrote about on the uh, email you sent me seemed to happen absolutely uh, to the point uh, within the sort of half an hour time band. Could you just explain to us uh, what actually happens as you go through um, a cold front? So here we're going into the front, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, we're effectively... Had come 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 out of the abacus. Had done for the first couple of days uh, a bit of a wiggle. There was a line of thunderstorms that were forming up up to the north, and so we'd done a, a slight deviation on the course, only slightly further south, just to try and keep out of the worst of those thunderstorms. Um, it did mean that we were slightly south of the rum line, and the concern that we'd always seen for the for the long term forecast was the possibility of a low and an associated front coming off that low, going to be rolling over the top of you probably within the last 24 hours of your trip. Now, sometimes lows speed up, sometimes they slow down, sometimes you know, they, they do alter in their course right up until six, six hours before a forecast completes. Uh, a low can alter it, its sort of location or position or speed or how it's going. So in this particular instance, uh, as the low had been sort of coming, sort of coming in from the northwest of you, coming in from behind, it had given you southwesterly winds that would help pushing you up towards Bermuda. The time was going to come when that front rolled over you and the winds were going to veer from the southwest to the northwest uh, on the back of that front. Um, and that was going to leave you with effect, almost not quite headwinds, but winds sort of fairly close off. So our plan was to actually go up higher on the course, almost further north than Bermuda was, so that when the front rolled over, we were then able to switch and almost have the wind on the beam to run back in towards. Now, when a front rolls over you, um, if it's a normal front, for want of a word, um, you're normally going to have a, a sort of varying conditions. The winds are going to increase. Um, the sea state is going to build. Often the sea state is the first point that you'll note, um, especially if you're at sea. The sea will travel 100 miles or hundreds of miles in front of a low, first of all. Um, and then as the front is looking to pass over, uh, you'll have different bands of clouds that will come along with it. Um, you'll then potentially begin to feel a change in the air temperature, the colder air that's coming down behind. Um, so you normally have a warm front that is moving along, plenty of warm air is rising up, and the cold air is rushing in behind, and that's trying to fill in the air. I noticed at one point, just as it started to rain, it got really warm, warm and humid, right. just as the rain okay. started to come up. And yeah, uh, so the, that the, air, the wind dropped off. So that, that again, can be a fairly uh, sort of normal effect when you have a sort of front passing over. Um, generally, in a traditional situation, you have a warm front first, and that is plenty of warm air rising, and that warm air is rising and cooling as it gets higher, allows the rains to fall, and so that begins the sort of first part um, of, the, uh, of the front approaching. The creation of the warm air rising is drawing the cold air in behind it, um, and that is often can, what can make these dangerous accelerations, or you can get the colder air that comes in behind. You'll notice when a cold front arrives, because the cold air is often much drier, it doesn't hold any humidity in it, and so there's a lot less cloud in it, the air is much clearer, and there's not the chance of so much rain. Um, but due to the acceleration of it coming in where the warm air is rising and it's sucking in to try and replace the warm air that's rising out of the way, 
Um, so you can you can see when you've passed through the two fronts, and the wind will also do a natural veer. There's often a shear that runs along the back of a warm front or a cold front, um, and the wind will traditionally, in the northern, northern hemisphere, of course, it'll veer one way. In the southern, it'll veer the other because the water goes down the hole the wrong way for them down there. Um, so, yeah, that'll often be a clear sign that you're into the cold front, a big shift in the wind, an increase in the wind, much clearer air, drier air, less rainfall around. There's still a high chance of uh, rain squalls, there's still a chance of increased gusts, um, but you very much know that you're through the back of it. The chance of thunder also decreases a lot as well. We went through on this occasion, it wasn't that dangerous, but do these things get particularly dangerous? Uh, the North Atlantic can, especially, I think we were April around then. I mean, it, it, it's a feisty time to be out there. Atlantic fronts, a lot of Atlantic weather is controlled by our jet stream or controlled by the jet stream, which is a fast moving band of air that, that moves around. Sometimes there can be two jet streams running at the same time. You kind of one up the latitude uh, somewhere up at Newfoundland or around New York, and you can have another jet stream that's running around the Caribbean. Um, often what we experience is one jet stream that heads over towards the UK and draws the lows off it, and the lows often feed off the jet stream. Um, the faster the jet stream can run, it can often create deeper lows, faster moving lows, more powerful lows. Um, the fronts themselves, um, they can dissipate, they, they can increase. You're, you're really looking at uh, how, how, how much wind shear there is, so when the front is passing, how, how much of a, is the wind veering from almost from southwest around to the north? Um, how much cloud cover there is that's building up? Um, I would say in experience, any front in the North Atlantic is going to have 40 knots in it at some stage. I think the hardest thing to predict as a, as a weather router or as anyone is how cloud formations are going to happen and how the thunder or the heavy rain is going to form inside there. I always think it's a good thing to know what a cumulonimbus cloud looks like which is a very distinct right. cloud, isn't it? But at least if you know what they look like, you can steer clear of them. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. I mean, they are often the, the front leader to the arrival of a cold front. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, if not even just to a big thundercloud. We successfully got to Bermuda and spent a, a good length of time there. And then uh, after about five weeks or six weeks, however, however long it was, we, we decided to set off on the big crossing to yeah. the Azores. And uh, I was kind of egging you on to get us going, I think. And uh, we actually picked a rather unusual route to get there. Well, you picked an unusual route for us to get there to get us around some lows and highs. Um, so to start with, I have to say from being on the boat thing on the boat, it was quite depressing because we seem to be going further away from the Azores and getting any closer because we're actually heading towards Cape Verde. But um, that passed after a couple of days, and then we had to go uh, north, uh, due north actually, uh, up right into the centre of the low. Now, tell us a little yeah. bit about that, because this isn't something that I would even envisage doing on my own without somebody guiding me. Yeah, I mean, when we when we looked at, at what sort of day or time was good to leave from Bermuda, we had this low that was sitting up to the northeast of us, that effectively blocked a nice direct route of trying to get up to the top of the Azores high. We just had this low sitting there and it was sending these strong north easterly winds down sort of into Bermuda. So options were limited that obviously not looking to beat up into this low and try and get over the top of it. The other option was really to, to look to run in down to the southeast of it 
um, and get out of the worst of the effect. And my thoughts had been to use the northeasterlies and to run southeast and get into the middle of the low. I mean, it was a bit of a rock and a hard place, to be honest. The, the conditions maybe weren't ideal, but I, I know that parameters were, were in play to make us think, well, let, let's at least go. So the setting off was two or two and a half days, I think, of a fairly uncomfortable trip down in the centre of the low. But always with this, you're sort of thinking, well, that has to happen. There are no other options here. We can't go northeast. And so southeast is the only way. It's going to be tough, but there is an end game to it. Into the low and then looking to use the calm conditions, if possible, inside the low. Um, the low was not a traditional round shape either. The low had squeezed into a long, thin sort of oval shape. It was banging up against the side of the Azores High. And the Azores High wasn't going anywhere. This low wasn't going anywhere. And so it formed this sort of long sort of rugby ball shape. And so it left a thin path kind of running up the middle of about uh, 600, 500, 600 miles or so, I think. Yeah, about that, to to not go into the affected area that was further out to the right of you, closer to to the Azores, where the low and the high were banging into each other. Uh, There was a lot of weather going on there, and I could see the cloud formations building up. There were huge cumuluses there, and again, this ran for 600 or 700 miles. We saw some that night uh, thunderclouds and things off to the the, uh, starboard side, so we didn't know it was there. (laughs) Sometimes you think in those situations, what if? What if you look for the shortcut and you think, well, just go through those thunderstorms, and on the other side... That is what I would have done. Um, If I'd been doing this on my own, I would have... uh, just headed straight for it, I guess, and um, yeah. trying to pick a way through it um, using yeah. radar and, and, and visual. But uh, it, you, it was better to go up into the centre, right into the very centre, wasn't it? And then break out uh, through it there. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the idea was, I mean, it was 150 miles or thereabouts across. You're at least 24 hours of pretty horrid stuff, intense, nervous, serious gusts. I mean, easily 50, 60 knot gusts that are hiding in these thunderstorms. And you don't know when they're going to happen, day or night. You're trying to motor through the high chance of lightning strikes. You're just in a position where you just think, I really, I don't want to put these guys in this position. What other options are there? So uh, again, it's rock and a hard place. You're seeing clearer air. It's a long-term plan. But if you can run up the inside of the low using the calm airs, the, the pretense was that where the low was, there was a south southeast that was coming in. And so if we could get you closer to the clouds, use that southeast if possible to sail up the inside, but yeah. always with the knowledge that if the clouds built bigger than what the picture was saying, you'd bail out further to the west. You'd run back into the middle of the low. And I think looking, uh, reading over the emails previously, we, we sort of created a, a bit of a wiggle track. There was a section for about 12 hours where the clouds actually bulged out towards you. And my heart was thinking, okay, this is not the plan. We need to. So we did a weird dog leg that took you away from, from the Azores for about 12 hours. And to get through the actual sort of knob of the hot of the low, it was a little bit further. We, 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 it took us quite a long time to actually get out. I think you thought we were going to get out of it before we did. And for some reason, we just couldn't make enough westerly in our track. I hope that four or 500 miles into the northing, you would have the southeast. But by then, the thunderstorms only had a certain area that they were active for. Eventually, you would reach over the top of them and you get kind of spat out the top of the low. Um, there wouldn't be any thunderstorm effect. And at that stage, you'd link into the high and carry on over towards the Azores. And uh, we got into the Azores high. And uh, I have to say, we had five, five or six days of absolutely stunning sailing you know we had the code zero out we even left it out at night because we felt that the conditions were so calm because we'd normally uh, take it away um 
and uh, the blues of the water and the sky was absolutely tremendous. It was that. Thank you for getting us safely across the Atlantic. I have to say we're so pleased to be in, in back in Europe and uh, sitting around on the Portuguese coast. Uh, it was a long way. We actually did 4,036 miles on that crossing in the end. Really? Right. It did feel like it, I can tell you. We were pleased it was over. Yeah. I bet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you both done amazingly well, and it has been very nice working alongside you both. Um, so, yeah, if any other questions, please do, do come back to me if there's any other questions, um, and we'll be in touch, Simon. Thank you very much, Charlie. Okay. Okay. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, it was all a bit complicated, really, and I just thought it was an ideal opportunity uh, to put some graphics and some video images together and to show you what happens when you actually uh, cross an Atlantic low from somebody who knows what they're talking about, because, to be honest, I have no idea whatsoever. Anyway, uh, regarding Charlie, you can book Charlie at uh, www.myweatherreader.com. And the cost is, uh, he charges 30 euros for the first uh, planning route. So he sends you that one day before you start your journey. And then it's 15 euros a day for a daily email with, uh, with a detailed information as you saw on the program. Yeah. And I actually really think it's uh, fantastic because uh, I felt a lot safer knowing there was somebody out there constantly on the ball to know exactly where we were, what we were doing, what weather conditions we were bound to expect. And uh, it just gave me a lot more confidence with this very, very tricky uh, west to east passage across the Atlantic. So everything will be back to normal next week, won't it? Yes, yes. everything is Everything's back to normal next yeah. week. So <laughs> thank you very much and goodbye from Portugal. Yeah, thank you. Bye for now.